We are rolling, and as usual, this episode is brought to you by Feel Free, and I feel free to invite and welcome J.W. Ross, the founder of Feel Free, to the podcast. How's it going today, brother? Good. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you. Um, can't say, you know, enough kind words about the product and the company, you know, um, I was turned on to it by a mutual friend, Cal Newport, who's also been on my podcast and, uh, I loved it ever since I first got it. So, um, grateful for you guys sponsoring my podcast and, uh, I hear nothing but good things from the people who use my code and get the product and, uh, try it out. They're, they're blown away by it. So, just want to say you guys are doing some really awesome work out there and I'm a big fan of the product. And again, thanks so much for the support. You bet. Yeah. So I did just want to dive in and hear the story of feel free, you know, your story. Um, how did you end up founding this company botanic tonics? Um, and why were you called to work with, you know, plant medicine? Um, this, is kind of a very mild plant medicine, it's kava, um, but I, I would still consider it a little bit of a medicine. Um, but yeah, tell me the story. How did how did the what's the origins behind Feel Free and and how you became interested in uh, kava and this this whole world? So uh, a very uh, long, strange trip, as they say, to get to this point. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. started out in uh, in Texas. Uh, was in the oil and gas business Mm -hmm. and, um, my mentors uh, had a lot of really early life success, way more than I'd ever dreamed. Didn't, didn't grow up with it, uh, was self-made, but, um, I had, uh, mentors that, uh, I looked up to and the -hmm. general theme was work hard, play harder of alcohol and other drugs, uh, mainly alcohol. Uh, Looking back now, all of those guys were functioning alcoholics Mm -hmm. and all of them died, you know, alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Um, So as my success went up, so did my consumption of of alcohol. The the other drugs kind of dropped off over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the alcohol continued to increase until the point where it was starting to cause, you know, serious, you know, issues in my life, uh, DUIs and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ruined relationships and, you know, just on and on and on. Fortunately, uh, I had an intervention. Uh, and I went off to inpatient treatment, was in treatment for 90 days. And I guess I'm one of the minority that, uh, the treatment worked, mm. uh, if you, if you can say that, um, and I've not had a drink since then. That was, wow. uh, 13 going on 13 years ago. Wow. Nice. So, uh, 
I came out of treatment. Um, you know, life was infinitely better than what it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still didn't really feel comfortable in my own skin. And what I, what I figured out why I was in treatment was that, uh, I was self-medicating and I was self-medicating because I had severe social anxiety, uh, mm. but never really felt comfortable around people. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up in a very distant family, unloving family, and just never really probably developed those skills to be able to, you know, um, have, you know, meaningful, normal relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can remember to this day, you know, the first time that I had a sip of alcohol, which, you know, I went from feeling that way, uncomfortable on skin to feeling like I was the life of the party. And it was, mm-hmm. it was love at first sight. Um, mm-hmm. and so when I got out, I was, again, I had a better life, but I didn't really feel comfortable, you know, again, being around people and I kind of isolated myself and mm-hmm. I came to the conclusion that if I didn't find something to replace alcohol that, you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't cause these problems that I would go, I would eventually go back to drinking again because I just couldn't. I couldn't live with that long term. So I went out into the market and tried, you know, all the legal euphorics Mm -hmm. that I could find. And uh, none of those really seemed to to do anything Mm -hmm. Uh, or they just I didn't like what they did. Uh, I also tried all the illegal stuff Mm -hmm. and most of that did too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't looking to get inebriated. I wanted it to feel good, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be able to do it on a regular basis. I wanted to be able to drive a car, go to work, work out, uh, all of that. I wasn't looking for something just to, you know, get blasted and sit on the couch. Sure. Um, and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. So, I am a research fanatic by just by default. And I started researching plants or substances that have been used by different civilizations around the world over the last few thousand years for social lubrication. Mm -hmm. And I found a handful of different things. I ordered them in uh, and, you know, different strains, different, ways of uh processing them and i tried all those again it was a dead end Mm -hmm. and i finally decided to start trying to mix some of this stuff together Mm -hmm. Uh, and this was all done just you know i wasn't thinking about commercializing it it was just for me personally sure and i i did it you know in the kitchen of my house and uh I spent about two years trying different combinations uh, and I finally found what for me was the closest feeling to, you know, when I had that first sip of alcohol right. in the process of doing that, I also was sharing it with friends and family. And when I got to that point, most everybody that, that 
I gave it to said, man, you need to sell this stuff. So that's, <laughs> that's how I wound up in uh, consumer packaged goods. <laughs> wow. Amazing story. Yeah, what really comes to mind about that is uh, necessity is the mother of invention. It's something my brother says. My brother is the founder of Sheath, which is a men's underwear company, um, which also sponsors the show. And uh, I'm a kind of a co-founder of the company. I'm the creative director, and, and I help him. But um, for him, you know, it's very much a similar story. He's like, I have a problem. I need to solve it. I'm doing it for me, not to make a million dollars. And by doing it for yourself and actually solving a problem and then sharing it with others, you, you often get that feedback. Uh, yeah, this is good. You should, you should sell this. You know, it's not every day that like an invention or a new product is born. These are rare opportunities. So when we stumble upon them, it's good to capitalize on them and, and take them to yeah, market, at least a, try it, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of products that are born every day. Most of them are just, you know, different iterations of stuff that's already out there. Uh, mm -hmm. You're right. It's very seldom that somebody comes up with something that's, you know, completely new. Totally. And it usually is probably because somebody's trying to solve an issue for themselves. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So <clears throat> when it comes to Kava, I learned about it um, a few years ago because my brother, who I just mentioned, Robert, uh, he had a friend in his like entrepreneurial kind of brotherhood out of Colorado that started a Kava bar. And it actually became very successful. My brother was like really impressed with the business he was pushing and started hanging out with the guy. Um, he's, a, he's a cool guy. I've hung out with him a couple of other times as well. And I tried kava for the first time. Didn't really feel it. But the second, third, fourth time I tried it, I started to get that sensation like, hmm, wow, okay, I'm feeling like I'm feeling loose, you know. And one thing that's interesting to note is with some of these new compounds to your body, I think you your body doesn't know exactly how to process them the first couple times you do them. Um, similar thing with cacao, which is another kind of mild plant medicine. Yeah. I yeah. ate cacao five times before I finally felt it. I was kind of like, what's all the, what's all the hype about this cacao? Like, it just tastes like I ate some nasty dark chocolate. I don't feel this heart opening. I don't feel this connection everyone's talking about, but on my like fifth time after which I would think my body starts to learn where to put the chemicals how to process them is going to the correct areas of the brain to do the correct action. Uh, I was like, wow, cacao is hitting. So same thing with kava. It took me a couple times. Um, but once I got the effect, it was like undeniable. I was like, kava is great. You know, um, and so there's also, you know, it, kava is similar to cannabis. Mm -hmm. There's, there's just on the islands of, of, uh, in Vanuatu country of Vanuatu, there's over 200 strains. Oh, wow. So, you know, just because you're having kava doesn't mean you're having the same thing as the other guy that's having kava. That's true. Uh, so it's very important to understand the different strains and their kava lactone ratios, mm. uh, because they'll do vastly different things. Mm. 
Are you able to say what strain Feel Free uses, or is that kind of proprietary? It is uh, proprietary. I will say that we it, it's a noble kava, and uh, it's it is grown in in Vanuatu. Oh, nice. Uh, but as far as the specific strain, that's uh, we keep that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, trade secret. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Respect that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how many strains I've tried. I'm not always the biggest guy on strains. Like I know people who smoke weed who have to know what strain it is before. I'm just, I'm just like, I'll, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's funny and um, it's interesting. The effect of kava. Would you tell us for yourself what the effect is of maybe kava generally, but also the feel free mixture? So, so kava is, uh, you know, it, it's been used for thousands of years in the Pacific islands and it's, they didn't really have alcohol. So this was their form of alcohol, mainly consumed in the evenings and on, on weekends. Um, it is a, it's a social lubricant. It makes you feel good, but it also, you know, makes you feel a little more connected to those around you. Um, it's interesting because, you know, alcohol is also a very efficient sober, uh, you know, social lubricant, but they do it in two totally different ways. Uh, alcohol, and you've heard this liquid courage, all that alcohol yep. amplifies you mm. <laughs> so that, you know, if it, it makes you feel more bold, makes you feel more open, mm -hmm. uh, lowers inhibition all of that. And, you know, that's what gets you going. Um, Kava mm. does actually the opposite. Mm. Um, it quietens you down. Uh, again, a general sense of, of well-being, mm -hmm. but you're much quieter. It, it kind of, it puts a damper on your ego. Mm. Um, and when that happens, you then all of a sudden now are open to what everybody else is saying and doing. <laughs> so when you're, right. when you're open to that, now you're really listening to what they're saying. You're really engaging with them and you're having, you know, much better conversations, much deeper conversations, you know, heart opening, better connections, uh, faster. Yeah. Um, so if you go into, you know, a Kava bar, uh, it's a much different atmosphere than, than an alcohol bar is. I mean, people are, are laughing, you know, playing games, you know, telling jokes, having a good time, but it's not near as loud as you would see in an alcohol bar because what happens in an alcohol bar is that everybody's aggressive, loud, and, you know, they're trying to talk over each other. Yep. Yep. And it just, especially as the night goes on and more alcohol is served, it gets louder and louder. And, and you know, on occasion, somebody's going to get into a fight, or, you know, or this, this right. or that. You don't see that in, um, in Kava bars. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> great way to put it. And I do agree. And that's why I think I call it a plant medicine a medicine you know i think alcohol could in certain circumstances like when you get a cut on and you need to burn it with alcohol it can be a medicine in that way but the way that like you know we use alcohol in the the modern culture it, it isn't 
very medicinal, you know, <laughs> um, and it does. Yeah, it says, that's a really interesting point you bring up because I'd never really until recently thought about it. Alcohol is mm-hmm. an antiseptic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're basically putting, you're drinking an antiseptic. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, people wonder why they feel bad the next day. Right. Well, if you're drinking an antiseptic, you're killing all kinds of things. Right. Uh, in your body. Right. You probably should feel bad the next day. Yeah. It's, it's not something I don't, that mother nature intended for you to put inside your body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this not to, not to argue, (laughs) but some animals do drink alcohol out in the rainforest. If, if, they're, if they're exposed to it, yeah, they'll definitely drink right. it because, you know, it, it makes you feel good. Right. Yeah. So right. it's a natural occurring, you know, uh, psychotropic or, you know, but, you know, I agree. It's like uh, people don't use it in the right way. It's not used as a medicine in the way that these other plant medicines especially popular ones like ayahuasca and, and psilocybin mushrooms and these types of things are used, which are very ceremonially. But my point in bringing it up was that it's an ego softener. All these psychedelics and all these plant medicines, cacao, kava, um, you know, mushrooms, ayahuasca, all these things, they soften your ego. They don't build it up. And I liked your point too about how it seems like with alcohol, everyone's just waiting for their turn to talk. They're not yeah. actually listening. Yeah. <laughs> they hear like your first 10% of what you're saying and they're already ready to respond. And they've already tuned out the last 90% of what you're saying because they're in their head thinking, I know better than you. And let right. me tell you how it actually is. And yeah. when you're in that ego softened state, you're actually like, no, I actually want to learn your perspective and fully hear it and fully feel it in my body before I generate a response. And then you'll have this little, like, after they're finished talking, oh, let me actually, like, think about what you said for, like, a good 10, 15 seconds before I even start to formulate my response. You know, that's a nice experience. That's a cooperative experience, not a head-butting experience. Yeah, it, it, I I tell you, I've spent now quite a bit of time, you know, in uh, the islands and, you know, evenings with natives that have consumed it there, you know, for generations, their entire life and consume it on a regular basis. The conversations are incredible. Right. <laughs> and, and just the, the ability of them to form very deep connections quickly with you. Yeah. Uh, it just, it, to me, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it's way, it's, very, very different than what you see here, because exactly what you just described, in most cases here, everybody's trying to one-up the other person. Yep. <laughs> trying to, yep. you know, they're, they're smarter, they're faster, you know, they, they've got more, whatever. Right. And it's there, it's just a 180 of that. It's, it's more about, you know, I, I really do care about you. <laughs> Yeah, I really want to hear what you have to say. You know, I want to try to help you. And, you know, I have feelings for you very quickly. I mean, it, the first time that I went there and uh, there were probably 10 days and I got ready to leave and 
the group that I've been hanging out with, I mean, they were crying when I was leaving. And I'm like, you know, I've never <laughs> seen this before. I mean, it wow. wasn't staged or anything either. I mean, they truly were, you know, yeah. uh, that move that I was leaving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very concerned about when I was coming back. You know, it, and it's just, I don't see that here. Yeah. <sighs> I know. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. My brother was just telling me, uh, Robert, I keep bringing him up. Um, he's my brother as well as my business partner, but, uh, he was just telling me about this show <clears throat> that he's watching right now about, um, and I wish I knew what it was called, but it's got a guy from the office, a uh, big guy from the office. Um, and he goes around the world looking for the most happy cultures. And what it reminded me of was the movie. I think it's just called happy. And this, uh, documentary happy goes into the happiest countries in the world. And a lot of them are people with the least people with the less possessions, Mm -hmm. less, uh, even aspirations to be something great. They really just appreciate their friends and their family and their community and the place, their place in the tribe. They let them all, have a distinct role that only they do. And because they fulfill that role, they get a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment and belonging out of that role. You know, on Tuesdays, I hunt the elk, that type of thing. I'm the guy that feeds everyone on Tuesday. I feel special. They appreciate it. I'm providing. They're receiving. This is like a very easy thing that we've lost so much touch with in the modern society. And I do want to say I empathize with these guys that want to one up everyone because it's what they've been raised to do. It's not even something they necessarily decided for themselves. The schooling system does it to you. Your parents do it to you. Society does it to you. Movies does it to you. It's all they know. They don't know anything else. We're programmed to be consumers. Right. Um, You know, it's interesting because when I went to treatment, you know, and it, it really, you know, it was a big deal for me to go because I thought, Ooh, you know, I can't go do that. The world will fall apart because, you know, I'm, I'm so important and needed and all that sure. have all these responsibilities. Well, the reality was if I didn't go, it was all going to fall apart anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really, the, it was the first time, since I, I started working when I was 14, 15 years old, I mean, really working. Yeah. Um, it's the first time that I had ever really stopped for any period of time and, and just worked on myself. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in one of the sessions uh, and the, the counselor said, what is the difference between admiring and desiring? Mm. And, I immediately shot back. Well, there is no difference. (laughs) And he said, no, there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, he said, the desire is what causes the suffering. Yeah. He said, he said, you'll find that if you, if you learn the difference and learn that you can just admire something, not have to have it. Yeah. Not have to control it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you can just, you know, whether that's a piece of art on the wall or whatever it is, because you'll actually get more enjoyment out of that than actually owning it. And he said, 
once you own it, now you have to worry about somebody stealing it or, you know, or, or right. getting damaged or, you know, right. or paying for it or whatever. He goes, now it becomes a burden. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can just enjoy it, wherever it's at, he said, you get way, you know, he goes, it's a, it's a much better thing. And I, it's just something that I had never, you know, I'd never thought about. Yeah. No, that's one of the main tenets of Buddhism, um, which is desire is the root of our dissatisfaction. Um, and, you know, I think desire can be healthy. I think it's just a balance. And that's another tenet of Buddhism, <laughs> which is the middle way. It's not one, this extreme and it's not this extreme. It's not never desire, but it's not desire all the time. It's find the middle way. Yeah, I and, think, you know, the, the, the concept of, of getting to where you had no desire, it would be impossible. It's kind of like the, the concept of meditating and not thinking of anything. Sure. That's just, that's yeah. not really, I don't think what meditation's about, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it, I was way, way off scale on the desire side. Mm, sure, um, sure. And pointing this out helped me get back to, you know, somewhere in the middle. Right. And, but I still have to be, I have to be mindful of it all the time because I find myself slipping back over into the, uh, more of the desire mode. Right. Yeah. Also the story you had just shared gave me the memory of a quote I had heard. Um, I think it was maybe Rumi or it could have been Ram Dass, but it was kind of like the encapsulation of the quote. I'm not going to say it word for word, but is if you love the flower, just admire the flower, look at the flower, smell the flower, but don't pick it. It's going to kill it when you pick it. So right. if you love the flower, don't try and take it with you. You know, that's profound. And I'm not trying to say never take a flower, but it's just the idea is profound. Wow. If I actually love this thing, don't don't take it out of its natural habitat. You know, don't think that it's yours now just because you love it. And we all, we do have to get things in life. We have, I have to have this MacBook and this, this microphone to do this right now. I have, you know, we have to get things, but it's just a, a matter of realizing what is the necessary amount of things and what is excess. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> what would you say about that? You know, I've spent time now in places where, you know, for our standards here, you'd say, well, that person doesn't really have anything. They're, they're poor, mm-hmm. but those people are, ex- you know, much happier than a lot of people I see here that have way too much. So, sure. um, there's a, you know, you have to have things, but there's a, there's a real balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I learned that lesson and I, I received lessons from movies, like deep, le- like spiritual lessons. Um, from movies. Some people probably do too. A lot of people just think, oh, that was a good movie. I'm not going to think about it too much anymore. But like, I'll take a movie with me for weeks. And the movie was Fight Club. The first time I saw Fight Club, I was like changed permanently, really. Um, But especially for a few weeks and months in the wake of seeing that movie. And because the, the whole teaching of that movie is the things you own end up owning you. And yep. so the, the theme, yeah. So the theme of the movie <laughs> is how to let go of everything you thought you were, which was just your belongings, 
and how to become who you really are, how to return to our primal selves. Um, and in the primal self in this movie, it was let's fight. You know, like I, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. So, I'm, you know, I love the movie. I love the concepts, but that's not my path. My path has been more like the plant medicine path, which does a similar thing. It just helps me see I'm not the things I own. I'm a deeper thing. I'm the soul. I'm the observer. I'm the awareness. And I have a mission here on earth to do something positive with this time. It's such a gift. You know, that that's the lessons I get from psychedelics is it's a miracle to be incarnated as a human being, like one in a bajillion chance. So don't waste it. And that's why I have this podcast, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to share positive stories that will help people on their awakening path because it was something I needed. Um, I was grateful for the guidance I did get from films and musicians and poets, but I didn't necessarily have people who were a little further along the path and would give me the breadcrumb trail to follow to higher and higher awakening. This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants. And the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. It's interesting you bring up about learning from movies because, mm -hmm. of, you know, the 90-day the inpatient treatment I went to, you know, was was great, but, I, but the 
the light bulb moment for me was uh, we were sitting at night and I was this, this treatment center I went to specialized in doctors and commercial airplane pilots. Mm. Uh, so really fascinating stories of how far addiction can take people and some of the crazy things they can do. Scary things. Wow. Um, but uh, we're sitting there and I was living with um, three doctors. We were sitting there one night and we were watching you know, TV and the movie A Beautiful Mind came on with uh, Russell Crowe. So good. And um, this is towards the end of the movie uh, where he's walking along with his arch nemesis. And the guy says, well, it looks like you're doing better. And uh, he goes, do you still see them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he looks over and there they are and they're waving at him and his, you know, his in his mind. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, he looks back at him. He goes, I still see them because I've learned not to engage with them. Yeah. And it, it was just a, it was one of those moments in life that I realized I'm him. I may not see them, but I have something in my head that's telling me something that's not real. Mm -hmm. And I've tried 10,000 times to, I've acted on that and every single time it's ended in, you know, negative, you know, bad things happening, but I keep doing it because it keeps telling me that I can. Yeah. And it, I, I then started really thinking about that. And what I realized was that up until that point in life, I had believed everything I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. I had acted on everything I thought. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was that they're just thoughts. Right. They're not, a lot of them aren't real. A lot of them don't even mean anything. Right. Yet I was running around, you know, acting on them. And then I, you know, that really then sent me down the rabbit trail of, you know, I want to study neuroscience and I want to, (laughs) and I really learned about, you know, the new brain and the old brain and, and, you know, because I'd always prided myself on making fast decisions. Mm -hmm. I thought that's, you know, a sign of intelligence. What I realized was that after learning about how the brain really works, that that is a very dangerous way to live your life yeah. um, because you're really just using the old reptilian brain. You're not using the new brain yeah. and you know, it's just fight or flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in one of the books I was reading, it was like, if you don't believe this, here's an experiment. If you get a text or an email in or whatever, Immediately, you know, that's kind of charged, immediately respond to it, but don't send it, set it aside, come Mm. back the next morning and look at what, how you responded. And I started doing that and it was like, I would look at it and go, I totally misinterpreted what the person was saying. Plus I just attacked them. Yep. You know, they weren't really attacking me to begin with. And I attacked them. Of course, if I had sent that, they would have then attacked me back, you know, yep. and it would have gone a whole different route. And it's, it, 
it was, I still do that sometimes today, just, just as, and it, it really is fascinating how different a day later your thought process is than the day before. And, and it's, there's a, there's a real basis behind it. It's that the newer part of your brain, which is where, you know, all the, the knowledge is held, it can store a lot of data, but it's extremely slow processor. Mm-hmm. So it takes time to go through all that and, and, and formulate, you know, a better response. And if you're just running around on, you know, fight or flight reptilian brain, you're not going to even access much of that. Right. And I think that's something that, you know, I wish that type of stuff was taught, you know, earlier in life in school. Yeah. <laughs> because you do, I, you know, maybe it is today. It wasn't when I went to school. I mean, it just, you know, I just, this is the kind of things that I had never been exposed to. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's amazing. Um, and I relate to that story because, you know, I'm a, I'm a human on my awakening path as well. And I've made plenty of mistakes, you know, and as we all have, and certainly I can see when I would receive a message that, uh, triggered me, that part of me wanted to bite back. It wanted to fire back. It wanted to defend itself. But yes, so many times uh, I've I've done that practice. Uh, I probably heard about it. Uh, I heard about it in the sense of a fire ceremony, more so than how you heard about it. Um, <laughs> but in a fire ceremony, what you do is you write on a piece of paper something you're ready to release, something you've wanted to say to someone, or some, uh, a way you feel that you feel like no one could understand, and you write it down, and then you burn it in a fire that you made. That's a fire ceremony. It does something, you know, like it, it releases some knot in the psyche and you feel better afterwards, certainly. So after I learned that technology, yeah, a couple of times I used that same method. I didn't burn the thing, but I did respond to a message, um, but didn't send it. And I sometimes I even said what I really wanted to say, the hard truth, but I didn't send it. I just needed to express it. They don't need to know, though. I needed to express it so that I could get it out of my system. And then, just like you, I would come back and say, damn, that was pretty crazy. I don't really need to say I'm glad I didn't send that. (laughs) 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 But then it's like, okay, now that I've grounded myself and my emotions have settled, you know, our emotions are like the sea. You know, sometimes there's big waves, sometimes there's tiny waves. And I mean, meditation helps to make the big waves into tiny waves, which I like. And they often use that kind of metaphor of, you know, once the mud settles, you can see the bottom of the lake. That's the act of stilling the mind, letting the mud settle. Now we can see clearly. Um, So that's just a very absolutely helpful thing for people to hear, I think, and and share that sometimes when you want to respond away, maybe you can, just don't send it. Just type it to yourself, write it on a piece of paper, burn it, um, and then see later that, you know, maybe that was a little too hasty, a little too angry, you know, like, let's let the, the, the mud settle a bit and let our mind see clearly what the situation is and what a positive result might be, you know, what would you say? No, about that's, that? that's right on, right on. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, earlier I wanted to say about um, Kava and the way it helps us connect as well is I feel like something happens with body language. This is kind of a subtle realm that not a ton of people really observe. Um, But so much can be observed when we see how a person is positioned in in a conversation are their arms crossed are their arms their hands in their pockets are there is it fisted up or do they feel angry you know what i mean i feel like what kava does in a sense why it's able to help us connect better is it softens us not only in the ego sense but in the body as well and as we can subconsciously receive that another person is more relaxed we feel a little more comfortable going a little deeper with them into the conversation and we feel a little more interested in their response on a subconscious level you know than uh with alcohol for example we're we're definitely not seeing body language where we don't have enough mental bandwidth you know we're just in the mind and the in the rat wheel of my my idea my idea is the best you know <laughs> well, have you observed this phenomenon of like the relaxing of you the know body? I, I've, to be honest with you i've never really thought about that um mm. but i'm sitting here thinking about the situations you know where i have been uh particularly you know like i said it's ceremonies in in the pacific islands with large you know groups and and what you're saying is is dead on uh, that is, that is a big part of it. They feel open, you know, yeah. like I remember f- seeing images of people in like Fiji drinking the kava and they're kind of squatted down in a very open posture. Their yeah. knees are spread. Their arms are wide. They're open. Their chakras are revealed to the people in front. You know, when you close off, like people don't know that they're thinking it, but they know like a deep part of us reads body language and, and can, you know, again, not on alcohol. I think we reduce our mental bandwidth the more we drink, but uh, certainly, you know, with these plant medicines, it, it feels like I can almost read someone's mind based off of like what their body's doing when I'm telling them a thing. Like, for example, I'll be in like a mushroom ceremony with a brother and I'll be like, yo, I got to tell you something. I got to, I got to release this. I want to tell you something and I'll see them kind of start getting uncomfortable a little bit. And I'm like, bro, are you good? Are you yeah. good? Can I, can I continue? Cause I'm getting the sense that you, or this is making you uncomfortable. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I, I, th- I just want to say this and you know, but that furthers the conversation. And I think that's a healthy thing to let the person even download. Am I uncomfortable? I didn't even know I was doing that, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, it's it's a thing, you know, and, and I'll say that that's why I believe that the feel free absolutely works. And, you know, when you guys heard my uh, podcast a sponsorship at the very beginning of this episode, I talk about why it works and what it does for me. Uh, it does release this social anxiety in the same exact way you're saying. Um, and that's a big positive thing, you know. Um, I would want to kind of go into this idea as well about how can we transmute in people's minds to try something new 
because so many people might hear this and, and might be interested, but still a little worried to try something new. And maybe they just want to grab a Coors Light and then keep it back to the basics. You know what I mean? But I think, I think it's worthwhile to try and share why it's worth the trade-offs of what the negative aspects of alcohol are and the positive sides of a feel free or a kava might be. Um, what, what does that bring up for you? You know, it, you know, for me, as I said before, it was pretty much a necessity that I, I either was going to either find something else or kill myself and or somebody else mm-hmm. in, in the process. Uh, I knew sure. that, you know, it would not end well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I had no choice. I, I, you know, you're absolutely right that people for the most part are, um, very afraid of change. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, they find something that they feel like is working for them and they don't really want to let go of that. Uh, even if that thing has started to, have some cracks in it. They still don't want to let go of it. That's probably one of the most fascinating things that I've seen in this journey is that, you know, you've got this segment of society that, you know, is like me that definitely has problems with alcohol. You know, they're, they're having, they're losing jobs they're crashing cars they're doing that kind of stuff. But you have this much wider, bigger wedge mm. that is having issues. They're not crashing cars. They're not losing jobs, but they—they're functioning know, alcoholics, right? Yeah, they—they they don't. You know, they wish they hadn't said that last night, or mm. they just don't feel quite balanced. You know, right. they wish that you know, even down to. I probably wouldn't have ate all that crap if I hadn't been drinking along with it, or I wouldn't have smoked, <laughs> or I wouldn't have done, you know, these things. And, and and it's on their mind. And and what I've found is that that's a much much larger group of people. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating to me that I have people on a daily basis reach out to me and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they don't feel comfortable talking about it with their friends because alcohol is a, is a very, um, it's ingrained into our society and right. it's, it's in some circles you're looked at as if something's wrong with you. If you're not, you know, in the groove and, and doing what everybody else is doing. Right. It's like you're killing the vibe. You're killing the vibe. Yeah. Now, why'd you even come out? You're not going to drink. Yeah. And a, a lot of uh, pressures put on. And yeah. I hear this that, you know, well, I go out with my girlfriends or whatever. And, you know, I, I feel this pressure. I feel uncomfortable. And, but I know if I do it, that I'm going to feel off balance. I'm going to feel, you know, there's going to be some things that, you know, that are not quite right. And, you know, and I want to, I want to feel connected. 
I want to have a good time. I want to be, you know, in the scene, whatever you want to, however you want to put that. Mm-hmm. But I don't want all this other stuff. Right. And that really frustrates a lot of people. Yeah. And, and right and rightfully so. It's hard to know what to do. You know, I've taken breaks from alcohol. I've gotten messages in, in plant medicine journeys. Hey, don't drink for 30 days. Just try it. Just try it out. You know, um, I'm, I'm not a heavy drinker, but I enjoy a beer. I enjoy a glass of wine, you know, but like I got a message. It was, you know, that's why I find these plant medicines extremely wise is it's just trying to help you along your healing path, your spiritual path. Um, and I didn't expect this to be the message I got from this particular ceremony, but it was like, Hey, I just want to challenge you, Matt, to not drink for 30 days. Just see if you can do it. And I did do it. You know, because I accept the challenge of the plant medicines. And I think that's what we all need to do if we're going to work with these things because they're serious. Um, But I'll say during that 30 days, um, all I could, every show I watched, alcohol, 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 (laughs) alcohol. They're drinking, they're drinking, they're drinking, they're drinking. Game of Thrones. You know, it's all like the mead, the beer, the wine. You know, I'm watching Succession, the mar- the margaritas, the martinis, the the wine, the champagne. It's just like it's so in our face. Well, it's, a, it's ingrained into holidays, celebrations, yep. you know, birthdays. All it, it's, yeah. it's it is really in the fabric of our society. Yeah, and that's why it's hard for people to really step away from it, and why it feels awkward, and why it feels like. I'm going to be the odd man out if I don't drink. But what I'll say is what came to mind when you were talking about going out, um, you know, and not necessarily wanting to participate, but still wanting to be out and in the scene was, and I'm sure it's probably something you've done before, but it's like order a virgin dope drink, bring the feel free, shake it up, yep. and drop it in. It looks like you're drinking. Yep. You know, like everyone doesn't feel awkward anymore, but you're getting the kava, you know? So, yeah, no, I think- that's, that, that's what I, you know, I, what I like is, is that, you know, it's great to have choices. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and choices, you know, it, it, uh, we were having this conversation the other day, you know, it's talking about how, you know, they have all these non alcoholic beers and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's fine. But that's not really what people want. <laughs> they don't want to look. They don't want to look like they're drinking. They want to feel like they're drinking. Yep. And that's very true. You know, they're not going to keep doing that just to, to look like it. Right. They want to feel like it because you know you just you don't feel connected without you know having some of that social lubrication when you're, especially when everybody else is drinking. Right. I mean, you really feel out of sync when, you know, or I did anyway, when everybody else was, was lubricated. Yep. I agree. And what's awesome about your product is you will be lubricated in almost a more enhanced and a more advanced way than the people drinking to the point that they're going to start asking, what are you on? Cause you are yeah, really chill, bro. It's like his vibe is chill. Like what? What's in your drink? What'd you order? I was like, oh, I got the feel free. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're like, I want one, you know? So that's how we shift. That's how we flip the script and shift society is it's just like being that 
you know, that person to uh, be a little different and, and, and show that I can still come out and I can still hang, but I brought my bottle of feel free and I ordered a virgin cocktail and I dropped it in or whatever it is, you know, you can still be there and like have a great time. And I can't tell you how many great times I've had with feel free specifically like in ecstatic dance. I don't know how many people are using it in this container but I'm a DJ and I do ecstatic dance like once a month. And um, <clears throat> cacao is often a, a thing of ecstatic dance where you drink cacao beforehand and it does do amazing stuff too. But sometimes I have been in containers where they just didn't have cacao. So, and I kind of knew I didn't have cacao or there wasn't going to be cacao served. So I'll take a feel free and I'm like, it's hitting and I'm feeling free and I'm dancing and I'm feeling the vibe and I'm presenting ecstatic dance the workshop in a very uh positive way and it still gets you into those kind of like states ecstatic states flow states um states of yeah positive inebriation but not in a detrimental inebriation that ego softening inebriation that we've been talking about where you're just kind of more open and receiving and listening and again, the body language relaxes and you just, you just feel good. You know what I mean? Um, have you heard about anyone else using it for dance and that type of thing? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of people that, uh, report that it's, uh, I get a lot of videos from people that, uh, are enjoying themselves, uh, <laughs> while, while feeling free. That's awesome. Amazing. Love that. <clears throat> well, I wanted to shift into this idea for the remainder of the show we've got a little bit and and we can see where it goes and maybe goes off the trail but it takes a lot to decide to build a company and decide to stick to it and decide to invest and invest and invest before we really see a profit i've been a part of sheath and uh you know for the first five years it was just we're working for free we're making no money we're spending money, if anything. But after you get to like that five-year mark, it's like you start to learn the lessons that it took you the five years to learn to not make the mistakes you made so that you can then make positive moves that actually have profitability and actually have social impact. And now you've like learned the ropes a little bit and you're able to actually start to see profit and see success in your business and evolution in your business. It's, but so many people give up before that point because it's hard to start a business. Um, that's probably a good thing, you know, for people that like us that are going to press on because it's less competition and it's less kind of oversaturated um, that pe people have given up. And my brother said this a million times about how this is a, an endurance thing. Like the companies that end up being the companies are the ones that just didn't give up. Um so I wanted to ask you, you know, you've built this successful company. Um, how would you kind of say entrepreneurial advice as to what the hardships are that we're going to face, what the challenges are we're going to face, but also how to break through them and how to press on towards success? Well, you're, you're dead on. I mean, it's um, you don't know what you don't know. You know, when you start into something new like this, you don't really know much. <laughs> you might think you do, but you don't. Because what I found now, I've been 
three different industries in life, completely different industries. And that, you know, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what you think. Uh, there's a lot more detail to it. There's a lot more nuance. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of gotchas, all that kind of stuff that, you know, you just, you just don't know until you get into it and live it. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, some of that translates across industries. Mm-hmm. Um, actually quite a bit of it does. Um, so with this company, I was able to take some of those learning curves from the previous companies and shortcut some of that and not have to live through that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, because as you said, you know, for most things, when you start, you're looking at years and years before you even think about starting to get any kind of a return. Mm-hmm. And especially in today's environment where there is such an overload of choices um, that, you know, you really have to have some something special or you have to have something that really is creative marketing wise or whatever to stand out because, you know, there's just there's just so much information being pumped out. Yeah. Um, and you have to be, you know, you have to be willing to spend the money and the time to live through all that. And in a lot of cases, people just don't, they don't make it. They run yeah. out of, they run out of, uh, patience or they run out of endurance. Right. They run out of money. <laughs> or, you know, all the above, and they just don't get, you know, ultimately the end. Right. Yeah, well, that's the hard part. And is even when you run out of money, though, because we ran out of money a bunch of times before we became a multi-million dollar company, not to flex too hard, but it was uh, now we got to get creative. Now we got to take some risks. Now we got to make some asks. We didn't want to ask before, but we we have to ask now. We got to ask for whether it's family, whether it's a bank. Yeah, we've got to like humble ourselves and realize if we really want this to keep going, we have got to like ask for help. You know, and that's that's such a big part, I think, of what people aren't willing to do, even when it comes to their mental health. You know, uh, it feels like we are ingrained with this, like this ego, that kind of like, I can't ask for help. I will look weak. I will look less than that's not the way, you know, we're all here to communicate, commune with each other. We're here to celebrate each other. We're here to help each other, collaborate with each other, um, support each other, you know? And once we learn that it's like a reciprocal cycle you helped me that time. So now I'm going to help you back. Exactly. And, then, and you know, and like just to learn that for the first time is such a valuable lesson. Seriously. Like one of the most valuable lessons that comes of entrepreneurship is like learning how to, yeah, find these creative <clears throat> solutions to a problem we're going to solve because for you to just fold and now you've wasted five years of your life. And I mean, it's not really a waste cause it's still a lesson, 
but it, you know, like it, it feels, it feels sad um, and defeating to give up on a venture that at once, at one time we felt really uh, passionate about. Yeah. I think the other aspect of it is in you, you really touched on something there that, you know, it, this, the failures in life probably are more valuable than the successes. (laughs) Yeah. Because the failures are what really sets you up for the ultimate success. Mm. Um, you learn so much from your failures, uh, and, and you, you learn humility, you learn compassion. You know, I, I've, I've, one of the things that, you know, that I've, I've been fascinated about in life is, is, you know, this thing of when somebody gets in, in some, has some kind of, you know, trouble, whether that be legal trouble or financial or, you know, relationship or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see, you'll watch their, their circle and a big part of their circle will just kind of move away from them. Yeah. Uh, and they'll go, Ooh, that person's weak or that person's this or that person's that. Yeah. And then there's this, this smaller group that, that, jumps up and comes to their aid, you know, and tries to, you know, help them. And I've always wondered, you know, what's the, what's the common denominator there, this, and what I've, what I think it is, what I've experienced is, is that it's because they've gone through something. Yeah. They've they've lost a child or they've gone bankrupt or they've had cancer or, Something mm-hmm. bad has happened in their life mm-hmm. and they've lived through it and they develop a real deeper layer of compassion yeah. uh, of understanding. And, and I, I, the term that I like to use for it is, is cardboard angels. Mm. Uh, you, you, these people running around that really look good and talk a really good game. And they seem to be, you know, your best friend and all that. But when shit hits the fan, you know, they bolt. Right. And they do that because they can't relate because they've, Mm. you know, they've never had anything like that really happen to them. It's not their fault. It's just that they don't have the experience to be able to, you know, have developed the compassion to be able to deal with it. Yeah. Well said. And that's why I just talked about this on one of my most recent podcasts about why we should be grateful for hardship and the lessons and the hurt and the pain we have endured in life and the failure is it's because it does give you that experience that does set you apart from other people. You know, these lessons that I would kind of feel at the time victimized by I would learn later, especially in meditation, which I'm a daily meditator, but also plant medicine ceremonies. Wow, that was a gift for me to receive that experience so that I would know more, take the lesson, read the silver lining, know what not to do in the future, know how not to make other people feel because I felt that and also how to support people in their time of need. You know what I mean? No, it's, that's exactly right. And it's just, 
it's fascinating to me that our default is running around trying to avoid conflict or adversity. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the, it's probably the main thing that allows us to really grow. Yeah. Uh, but we're just, we're scared to death of it. Yeah. I've heard someone say this recently. I can't take the credit for coming up with it, but <clears throat> it was something along the line of fail, then fail again and fail again, because failure is our greatest teacher. And that's just something that people don't think about. It's like, why would I want to fail? Like, hell no, I don't want to fail. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, But to go out and try a thing that kind of scares you and fail at it is the best thing you can do. A lot of times, you know, like it, it, it's circumstantial. I'm not saying every failure is like a good idea. Sometimes you really don't want to fail in this particular way. But in other ways where it's just like, I want to try this thing that I know in my heart I want to do, but I'm afraid to fail. You should still try it to see does it work? Is it transmutable into, you know, transmutation is like a, a, a part of alchemy, which is the idea of turning lead to gold, you know, um, is, is a lesson transmutable even as a failure to, to be turned from that lead to gold into a positive thing that I can take into my future. So you were able to transmute that led to gold and now not only has it increased the quality of your life but the life of so many others and that's like the best thing we can do on the planet i would say no that's uh you know i again i get a lot of people reaching out to me Mm -hmm. and you know some of the stories that you know that i hear just it's like it just doesn't get any better than that you know um an example, one uh, that I had it's been about a, that's about a year ago, I guess. I had a, a, a lady call me from Austin, mm-hmm. and she said, "You know, I, I ordered your product online for myself." She said, "And I tried it," and she said, "Yeah, you know, I like it." But she said, "That's not what I'm calling you about." And I'm like, "Okay, where's this going?" <laughs> and she said, "I gave it to my husband," and she said, "I didn't tell him what it was." And she said that, um, you know, he kind of she said our relationship said he really wasn't the man that I that I married. He got really distant, hostile, didn't really engage with the kids, you know, mm-hmm. really stressed out work. And she said, you know, he she goes, I gave it to him and he's he went on, you know, into his office to work and at the home office and. But she said, the next thing I said, she goes, I hear him playing with the, she was the two little girls. And she said, actually, one of the girls came in and goes, you know, what's wrong with daddy? You know, why is he, you know, he's actually, you know, he's engaging with us. And, yeah. and she went on to say, she, and she was very emotional. And she goes, you brought my husband back. Mm. And I I then became very emotional. I'm like, you know, it's, I mean, even to this day, when I think about it and the way that she was describing it, it was just, it was one of those moments in life. It's just like, this is what it's all about. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. And, you know, and the fact that she unsolicited took the time to reach out to me and tell me this. Right meant that it was it was 
very, you know, important and very real. Right. And again, I could just feel it, you know, in the way that, you know, in her voice and the way that she was describing it. And it was just, you know, it's one of those golden moments. That is amazing. Yeah. And I agree. And that is one of the least understood aspects of entrepreneurship. Um, it can very much always look like if you're an entrepreneur, you want the watch, you want the car, you want the private jet, you want the mansion, you want the model wife. They, they glamorize it to look like that. But like the real reason, there's a soul fulfillment that comes from hearing stories like that from your customers. And we've heard it so many times with Sheath as well. Um, it's just, I was so uncomfortable or my husband, it, it, he's been having this issue and you're solving it. And, you know, we've heard these stories too. You know, I, I don't remember the last time I heard one as good as that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, we certainly get them. And it's like, wow, you know, we're not just selling a product to make money. We're selling a product that actually helps people. And you do have to sell products. I just talked about this on one of my recent product, uh, podcasts for a decent price because people value things that they pay for. They don't value exactly. things that are too cheap or that are yeah. just given to you willy-nilly for free. It's yeah. like... Yeah, that's a, I'll throw that one away. I'll throw that in trash. But when you bought it, it's like, no, I'm going to use this with intention because I bought it. So there's a reason for pricing. There's a reason for premium pricing and premium products. And it's not because I need a mansion. It's because, yeah, it's because you will actually prize it. You will actually use it and seek for the benefit within it. Would you agree yeah. with that? No, I agree 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, man, that was an amazing uh, podcast. Really glad to get to know you deeper. Again, thank you so much for the support and the sponsorship. You bet. And, and uh, yeah, how would we just invite people to learn more about you, learn more about the product, um, where to find it for themselves, and that type of thing? So, our, uh, our website is botanictonics.com. Um, very easy. Just, you know, Google, feel free. And uh, it'll it'll pop up, um, and there's plenty of more. There's plenty of information. We have you know blogs and press and yeah. all. Anyway, we have a lot of videos on YouTube and stuff. You know, going more into the uh, ingredients and mm -hmm. different uh, uses and all that. So a lot, lot of information out there. Love it. Yes, and guys, don't forget to use promo code ZN40 at checkout to save forty dollars. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. And once again, thank you, J.W. Ross, for being here today. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, brother. <laughs>